Hey, what's going on, guys? I just shared the link again, so I'm going to give some people a minute or two to <clears throat> stroll in and get started. Appreciate you guys who uh, come from the stream. This is a follow-up to the uh, stream. I do this every Tuesday and Thursday, so for anyone who's new, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday I stream at 1 p.m. until the bear market is over, and then at 2.30 right after I do a, uh, I host a 30 minute call-in. So it's a good follow-up for anyone who's on the stream and has questions. Um, but uh, shout out to Colin, the team at Colin, great team, now available on Apple and Spotify. I know I say that all the time, sounds like a shill, but uh, I think it's a great platform. You know, it, it'll, it's, it's, in my opinion, superior to Twitter spaces. You have the recordings, the transcripts. It's available on multiple platforms. I mean, you can't really go wrong. Uh, and they've been growing tremendously. So shout out to the team at Colin. Uh, but we'll get started quickly because, again, this is only going to be 30 minutes long. So just keep that in mind. You know, when you hop on, uh, be uh, just aware of, of the, the time constraint. Uh, on Fridays, we have a longer call-in session. Um but anyway, just did the stream. I want to open it up right away. I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about with respect to alt. Uh, BTC looks like it's making an attempt to accept back within this sort of 12-day range we've been in. I mean, it's it's in the range still, but I'm talking specifically about where it established value, and that's right above 29.4 all the way up to 30,005. Uh, and the longer we move sideways, the more likely that the move ultimately to the upside to the downside is going to be violent. So I mentioned during the stream, just to reiterate, I don't want to blindly sell any levels because it's entirely possible that we have a uh, significant overthrow and I don't want to blindly buy the lows either. So nothing, um, nothing really different with respect to how I normally trade anyway, but yeah. All right. Let me open it up because I don't want to waste anybody's time. Brian, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up, buddy? Uh, not much. Uh, I'll just ask a quick question. Um, so, with this range we're in, if if we saw if we saw uh, you know a fake breakout or a fake breakdown and accepted back into the range, would you be willing to take a uh, position within the range, or would you need to see it um, like accept to one side or the other? No, I definitely that those trades have been some of the best trades throughout the structure. So reaccepting back within the range, back within value. I mean, on the uh, like tw from the 21st to the 22nd, we had a double distribution setup where, like for a brief period of time, price was kind of rolling under the gap and under value, and and that's a really good risk to reward opportunity. Like let's say even if you want to short, because once you accept back within that gap, you just it's very quick to move from one side of the range to the other, and you could see that the last like the last week. We had a gap down from the high, you know, sort of a BART, and then grind underneath that structure, BART up back to the high, and then yesterday, BART back down to the low. So it's not like there's really anything that's taken place between sort of this, uh, like, 29,900 to 29,400 window. So, you know, in, until something, like, builds up within that structure, I just expect that structure to move very, you know, for rather, <clears throat> excuse me prices move quickly when they accept within that structure. So anytime that we have any kind of fake out, and especially like this morning where it's still kind of, the setup is still there. 
it's more explosive, I think, uh, where we have a fake out and you have an accumulation of OI. So like yesterday, there was a grind towards the highs, there was significant absorption, and we had someone that was just longing a shit ton of BTC on Binance uh, derivatives. So that unwind leads to a very significant move in the opposite direction. And, and we sort of have a situation now where we made a, another attempt towards the lows of the structure, you know, the lows, but not the low lows, because we, we haven't gone back down to, you know, low 26. We made, um, you know, a, another attempt towards the low side of the range. This time we have a significant increase in open interest. We saw some of it come down so far off of this pump, like this more recent pump, but it's still pretty elevated. So if we accept back above 29, like kind of where, where we're rolling right now, because it's the underside of the value area low, if we accept back above uh, like 29.4, 29.5, it's, you know, we're kind of here right now. But like I said, if we push up and we're able to, it's more like 29.5. Um, then yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good setup again, kind of just right back to the highs of the range. Like this can continue to go on for a while, which is what makes it less, which is what makes it less compelling or more dangerous rather to just blindly short any one of these levels. Cause the longer we move sideways and do this, just the, the more built, you know, it's, it's a case where you build up more stops and you build up liquidity on more, more liquidity on both sides. And ultimately when we do finally get a, a strong move through, not something that just kind of hangs out at the low or hangs out at the high, you know, that unwind is going to be significant. So yeah, I'm willing to just, that's really all I'm interested in doing right here is play this range. Cause it's been so, um, it's been so clean. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's definitely like a very clean range and it's going to be interesting to see like which, which way it resolves to and like what that, what that looks like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we break above like 30,500, and we see that, you know, it's getting slippery and there's no real kickback at this point. Again, it always feels like it's the next break that's going to lead to the more, you know, more significant break. But it's really, you know, there's not really much that stands in the way of us until you get back up to like 35K. So that's why I wouldn't want to just blindly sell it, you know, at any real point in between, like step in the way and short it. It just it doesn't seem like... Um, it seems like the trade that I think a lot of people are thinking of right now, because if we break back up, like, you know, the next hardcore resistance is the first level to sell. But I, I, nothing surprised me at this point in this market. So if we were to break up and rip towards 35, that's something that could really overthrow, right? And then we'd have to play from there. Like if we started holding 35 again and, and selling into it and holding it, then maybe we have another larger range play in the prior range that we established, you know, all of Q1, which was like 35 to, you know, 44. But I don't want to get that far yet but there's some really good trades that are on the horizon i think yeah it seems like it seems like everyone wants to short 35 <laughs> which is funny like i don't know but uh, i mean that could be a really good level but uh, you cover that on the stream like it's, it just might be i don't know it could be like sort of the the she candle going back to october 2019 where like everyone's short you know we had that from June 2019 to September 2019, we had this really clean range. Price was making lower highs, though. Finally broke down. And it kind of is, you know, the initial thinking is, oh, we broke down from here. This is the bear flag to break lower. When the she candle occurred on October 25th, we ripped up. The underside of the structure made sense for people to short, right? You know, high time frame resistance. It should act like resistance now. And instead, because everybody did, like we ripped through know from 9k all the way up to nearly 11k so i i think that's always possible you know 
it's it's more possible, like or rather the probability of that occurring is greater when you have a larger increase in open interest. We haven't really had something drastic yet. I mean, this morning's decent. There was like 300 million contracts worth of open interest added at the lows. Um, but that was the same setup that occurred yesterday. Yesterday, there was like 300 million worth of contracts added at the highs on the long side. And that unwound. And all it did was unwind to the other side of the range. So we need like, it, we're, it's this probably just going to take a long time, like to be fair. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like with the way sentiment is, you would think that like the OI is like super skewed to like, you know, short shorts being aggressive, but it's not like it's not. It doesn't really seem like at least to me the way it was like over the summer last year. So it's kind of. It's kind of like this just could, like you said, just go sideways forever or I don't know, or just slowly distribute lower. It's hard. It's hard to tell. But yeah, it definitely is hard to tell, especially just with respect to what's, you know, what's taking place with stocks. I mean, we're we're really correlated right now. So, I mean, it all really largely. It, right. It, right. Like crypto will have its own, you know, brief period of freedom if equities are bottoming here. Right. And can continue to stay stable. Otherwise, like if equities start moving towards the next big level which is around 34 35 that's like a 10 percent move in stocks and that usually means like a 25 30 percent move in bitcoin so yeah you know it's it's for me i'm not like i have no interest in like buying the bottom at all right it's not the risk reward in my opinion is not there i get like long term i added some spot to to cold storage but it's uh i largely stay hedged regardless so it ends at the end of the day it doesn't really do much for me but this is just an area where it could go both ways. And if anything, this is such a big change, you know, in the last year for us to break lower that I could totally see like this being the beginning of a larger move down. Right. You know, so just trying to be cautious. Yeah. All right. Well, it was good talking to you. I'll let someone else get up here. All right, Brad. Good talking to you, man. Yeah. yeah the only big, like big opportunity I see from the long side, um, and this is if it occurred in, you know, relatively textbook fashion, and it would be a very obvious one, would be if we had, let's say, overextension through 35, right? So some kind of break above 35, and we were able to put in a floor and hold, and not just like for a few minutes, right? But actually have some kind of close of significance through the underside of that, you know, range we just came from. Because then you have a case for, you know, price ranged had expansion to the downside, didn't lead to continuation, becomes more like a deviation. And then the move from like 36 to 46 becomes really clear. Um, and then that's something I would have like, you know, increased exposure behind. But we're just in a really, really rough spot. What's up, uh, Christopher, man? How's it going? Oh, I lost you, buddy. Let me get you back on. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I pressed the wrong button. How's it going? All good. Hope you're good also. Another uh, interesting day in the market. Um, well, I'm just kind of... <clears throat> the market doesn't seem too interesting. Sure, we had a nice drop today, but we just bounced right back up, back into the range. And it seems like we're still pretty range-bound. Uh, until something further happens in the economy or something or equities market, I suppose. But uh, I was wondering if you had any, <clears throat> I had a question like, uh, what kind of mistakes did you make in the beginning of your trading career? 
um, how did you solve them? I think one of the most significant mistakes that I made early and also kind of still make to this day and more so in alts than in Bitcoin is honestly cutting my positions too early. Um, you know, a lot of people let positions go against them, but I think one of the one of the more difficult things to do is to exit positions properly than enter them properly. Um, exits are, I think, a little bit more significant, honestly, than entries. I think one of the best things that you could do if you're, and this is like, again, something that was a problem for me and still is to this day kind of a problem with alts because I'm just very, I think I'm kind of a cynic when it comes to alts. So I, I wasn't able to capture like 20, 30 X's like a lot of other people. But at the same time, I also didn't give back much money at all. You know, from from our high, like 55, 56, most of my portfolio was de-risked. Besides, again, some cold storage that I hedge on futures anyway. But I think one of the most significant issues is probably, again, taking profits too early. And, and I think the most significant thing that I could say that you could do to fix that is you get kind of focused on your P&L. Um, you know, there is people, they do studies and show that people are, you know, they, they do loss, like studies on loss aversion and an equal loss and an equal gain, the loss is always much more painful. And when people get into the green, they tend to try to close that and, and cover that return very early rather than being able to like let it run um, because you become very focused on your P&L. So one of the best things you could do, and you know, you could do this either, I've said literally to cover your screen with tape, some trading software allows you to get rid of it completely, is not look at your P&L. Um, to, to really just, you know, kind of trade setups, right? You know, if you have an area where if you, if you're approaching a trade and it's a sort of mechanical setup and, you know, you know where you want to be in, you know, you know where you want to be out of the trade and you, you know, to the downside against you, where your stop is or where your invalidation is at least. And you also know where your target is to not look at your PL at all and try to actually get rid of it if you can. So this might mean taking a piece of tape and putting it on your screen and covering the area on your toolbar, you know, on your exchange where it, where it shows you your P&L. Because a lot of times people are going to respond to whether that's red or green. And even if you know in the beginning, okay, this is where I want to get out of the trade, it's very easy to start second guessing that and not letting, you know, the, the idea play out when you see that your position is going against you. And the same thing is when you see that it goes in your favor, a lot of people will try to, or, excuse me, people are prone towards trying to close that out in the green and capture a return quicker than they should, uh, rather than letting the setup play out to what, you know, the original intention of it was. So I think one of the best things you could do is honestly, and, and this, the saying is not trading, you know, the saying is don't trade your P&L, right? So one of the best things you could do is honestly figure out a way to hide your P&L so you don't look at it and you just treat it each setup like a setup, you know, it either hits your stop loss or hits your target and that's it. Um, you don't want to overmanage it while it's take, you know, while it's sort of taking its time to play out. Now, obviously, as you get better, you'll, you know, you'll have more of a feel for the nuance of things and you'll be able to tell like, okay, you know, for example, on a lot of my shorter time frame trades, I know that they should happen pretty quickly. I take myself out of them by time alone sometimes. Like if it's, if I'm looking for a particular squeeze to take place, like this morning, I longed when we started accepting back after breaking down and I longed on like the third lower high. So it was right around, this is right around 29K. 
And my idea was this should squeeze very quickly from here because it's sort of building up pressure. If we continue to just move sideways for another few minutes, I would have just taken myself out of the position. But at least when you're starting, you shouldn't do anything like that. If anything, you should make sure that you let yourself get stopped out. So you get sort of accustomed to letting setups play out rather than you kind of micromanaging them. So that's like one thing. I mean, there's so many things I could think of that were, you know, earlier mistakes. One of them in crypto is clearly like over-indexing, getting into too many positions, having too many line items. You know, you become more of a portfolio manager than a trader. That's really easy to do in this market, especially when you're in a bull market because everything is moving. Um, so I always have to remind myself like what my bread and butter is and where my specialty is and not to try to overextend myself from that and not get, not to get pulled out of my method, you know, something called style drift. So I don't, I want to make sure that I'm kind of guarding against style drift, um, when it seems like compelling to fall victim to it, but yeah, hide your PL, Don't trade your PL. That's probably one of the best things uh, aside. And this is like, you know, this is outside of all the basic stuff that you're going to hear about risk management and, you know, having an invalidation. That's kind of a, that should be at this point, you should have heard that enough to realize like, okay, this is clearly something I need to master. But I, I don't think people talk about it enough that you shouldn't be trading your P&L. And if anything, you should try to hide it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, because <clears throat> usually I'm happy if I'm green for the day. They say if I'm just a few percents in the green, I'm happy. But then sometimes I cut my positions too quickly. But then also I don't always want to let them run overnight. But I suppose I should just like set the stop loss to like take profit, like slight take profit so that I don't go minus on the position and just let it run as I thought it should. Because most of the time it goes to where you think it's going to go, but you cut it too early because you're too impatient right. or at least yeah. I am anyway. I yeah, suppose. I think a lot of the times people have expectations that the moves should resolve much sooner. And then they start looking down at like the one, the five, the 15 minute chart. But if you yeah. spend a long enough period of time in this market, you realize when we're in environments where moves happen fast and when we're in environments where they take time. And so that's something you obviously have to start to be able to pick up on because there's a lot of times where price, it takes kind of a detour to get from point A to point B. And what I realized is there's so many, and this is, for me, it's very specifically with alts, is there's so many times where I look back on things that before I took them, I knew this is a really good setup. It's probably going to take some time. Let me put it on. And then I find like a couple hours into it, after it being in the green, I'm taking it off. And then I'm always looking back on it and realizing like, oh my God, I cut my position. This is something that I consistently do. I constantly cut my positions before they're even halfway to where they, you know, where I originally have intentions yeah. of traveling to. So. <laughs> I did the same, like on people. I saw you also saw people this weekend. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, I got in like at the top on the back side of it, but then it was getting late uh, back where I live. So I just cut it instead of just moving my <laughs> stop loss and letting it run. And of course, the fucker ran down. But I was scared, like, oh, it might run up again, but the momentum was gone. There was nothing left. So, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a cognitive bias. It's just loss aversion. Like, we, an equal loss and an equal gain, the loss is so much more painful, you know, versus the gain. So, you know, $100 loss feels so much worse than a $100 gain was in the opposite direction. So, like, when we start making some money, we, you know, we, we cling to it right away. Uh, but then meanwhile, people will let losers go against them because they always have this kind of hope <laughs> that it's going to come back at some point. Yeah, exactly. I did that today also. And I 
well, luckily I it was like I had a lot of profit, so I just said, oh, it's the house money. But it's never house money. If you have profit, you should just keep it and don't be stupid with it. But it's okay, I suppose, to do it. But I also had another question, like, uh, in the beginning, I don't know if, you, like me, I'm quite an um, energetic person. And sometimes I get a bit riled up when I'm in the markets. And I kind of want to fight the market a little bit. Like, you you should do this or that, that, that. not as much anymore as I've got t- taken some heavy losses, this and that, and got more experience. But do you, do you have anything to do, like, other than exercise, meditate, like the normal stuff that you hear? I mean, <clears throat> yeah, so taking a break is obviously really important. The things that I think of are things that come when I have, like, too many losses or I've hit my loss limit for the day. And that just means that I, no matter what, I'm done training for the day. Because you can't try to muscle the market. Like there's no, this is where, you know, the concept of, you know, strong opinions loosely held comes in. This is where the concept of, you know, do you want to make money or do you want to be right comes in? You know, the the market isn't like this horn of plenty that we could, you know, or a tree that we could go and shake from time to time and, and we should be able to get setups out of it. Sometimes you're just off. And, you know, if, if you are getting riled up by the market, the best thing to do is to, you know, if you're going to continue to trade your position, and this, this goes back to like just prop background. If you, if you are on a win streak, you will be able to take more risk. You know, you'll be able to take more risk. Your daily loss limit will go up. If you're on a losing streak and you're finding yourself on the wrong side of the market, your risk levels are going to go down. So you're not going to be able to take as much risk and your daily loss limit is going to go down as well. So if you're not trading prop, you're required on yourself, you know, on your own to impose sort of these um, disciplines into your routine or have this discipline in your routine. What that means is you have to be willing to, if you're, if things aren't working out and you're riled up, you have to, you have to size down. But the problem is like most people, you know, size down, take less risk. Most people, when they've taken a few losses and they're getting riled up, they try to make it back, right? So they're trying to increase their exposure. They're trying to like, you know, swing for the fences and and make up for for recent losses. And this is where losses can really spiral out of control because like psychology studies show that when people take a certain amount of losses and their portfolio is down, like let's say you get to the point where you've nuked your portfolio like 50%, you actually go into sort of suicide mode where it almost... there's like this feeling of fuck it that takes over where people will literally nuke their account into zero because they're just sort of, they become very masochistic in the moment. So you really have to make sure you never approach that, that, that ledge. Um, And this is like, this also goes into like even physically stepping near ledges. Like you don't want to put yourself in a position where you might want to jump over. Right? So if you're having a really bad day, it's really easy to go into, um, to, uh, excuse me, the term would be like, um, to go on tilt. So you definitely want to keep your, this, the overarching theme of all this is like, you want to be able to stay level-headed, right? You don't want to feel like you're, you're being riled up by the market ever. And on the flip side of it is when you're having a good day, that's where it's also really important, right? If you're having a good day, so there, a popular saying is that, when you're doing well, you should increase your bet sizing. You should you should trade more aggressively. That's not true. It's when you have a setup that is doing well that you should put more money behind it. When you know that you have a setup that has, you know, the probability is really strongly in your favor, then yeah, why wouldn't you increase your bet sizing? 
it's not when your energy is good and when you're winning a lot, right? You might be winning a lot across the board, but it still might be, you know, a product of randomness. You might have, you know, hit an alt, you know, one morning you, you, you hit an alt swing for like 20%. And then, you know, the next trade you take in BTC is like a scalp and it worked out. And then you're like four or five trades in a row, you've done well, but they're not mechanical trades, right? There's no, there's no um, like thread through all of them in terms of probability that they all share. They're all kind of just random your energy is really high at that point. It's actually really easy to fuck up because you're, you know, you're kind of like riding a high, right? Where it's easy to make mistakes. So I, I don't really like to go too far into like trading psychology. Cause I feel like that's like <clears throat> something that people that don't really trade much talk about. It's like the one thing they know about because everyone knows about their own psychology, but um, it is really important. Obviously, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not, if, and no, I'm not, I don't want to make fun of anybody that talks entirely about trading psychology. Cause I do know some well-known traders that, you know, they talk about it frequently, but I just find like it's overemphasized by, you know, kind of grifters. Um, but uh, one thing you have to remember is like, if you're not trading systematically, right, if you're not trading, you know, with any kind of uh, mechanical, purely robotic systematic approach, whether it's you're trying to do it, well, excuse me, if you're trying to do it manually, the most important thing that you have is literally your mindset and your discipline, because it's going to be the thing that keeps you you know, getting into the positions based on those inputs, getting out of positions based on your criteria consistently. And at the end of the day, if you're a manual trader, you know, your mindset and your discipline is kind of everything because uh, you're, you're trying to be robotic and systematic, but you're still, you know, you're still applying a very human element to your trading. So hopefully that wasn't too long winded, but you got something out of that. Let me just get you on real quick again to see if uh, that captured the point you were looking for. Yeah, sorry, I pressed the wrong button again. But yeah, it captured the point. And it was like, you kind of touched on it because making profits is not really the problem. The problem is keeping it. So my last question would be like, do you have any profit target that you have a day and then you stop? Or do you just finish the day? When the day is finished, you don't see any more setups, the move is done. Like sometimes I over trade the move a little bit but i should be done because i had the nice profits from the move i should just take a break to relax you know do you know what i mean like be done yeah i know what you mean you got you caught the move like be happy yeah so i uh i don't have any profit targets i think that those are kind of dangerous because then you set some kind of expectation for the day and then if you're if you're starting off and you're having a bad day and you ultimately should be at a point where you should quit for the day it might be hard to quit because, you know, you have this kind of this number that you're trying to hit. So, you know, this isn't a sales game where you're selling stuff door to door and you're trying to like be the number one salesman. It's, it's bad to have profit targets. I mean, you have, you know, you, at, at some point you'll have an approach that will probably have a bunch of different strategies. And in the beginning, most people are good to try to build some kind of mechanical strategies where they know what they're looking for from a trade where they know a strict invalidation, where they know a strict, you know, take profit. And then, like I said, it, it absent all the nuance that you get from experience, you have to just be willing to step out of those trades when you know that you should take profit, right? When you know, you know, just to make it more real, like, for example, this, <clears throat> the setup that I've been talking about this morning, where if we accept back within value, if we're back above and we're able to hold 29,450, 29.5, that trade for me only means that it goes to, you know, 30,100, 30,200. 
even though that might be the trade that takes me takes us all the way to 35, I know that I'm better off applying, you know, what I know is most likely taking profit at the, you know, most likely target sticky area. And if we start covering that level and, and holding it, then I could always get back into another trade. But it's really important that I stick to that system because if you don't stick to that, you know, it gets really easy to be loose with things and start making exceptions for making mistakes and, and start staying into trades when they go against you. You have to have some kind of strict rule set to act on. You know, at the end of the day, you're really only as good as your rules. Now, again, when you get, you know, when you're years into this, you'll have, you'll develop nuance and you'll develop like a feel for things. But until then, you should make sure that you have a set idea, at least of when you're in a trade where you're going to take profit. You should always have an idea of, you know, not to confuse anybody, you should always know where you want to get out of a trade, right? Unless this is a long-term investment, you should always know when you're in a trade, before you're even in the trade, where you plan on getting out. You can't try to like wing it because you'll never build a system that way. You'll never build repeatable, positive results. You have to have an idea of where you want to get out. But this is definitely not, this definitely doesn't mean that you wake up in the morning and think, today I want to make $50,000. Today I want to make $500. It's a bad habit to get into to start thinking that way. But what you, But before I finish it up, you should absolutely have a number where you know that you're done. So that might be $500 for some people. That might be $5,000 for some people. That might be $100,000. But that has to be a line in the sand that you do not cross. Because again, you need a, you need a point where you get the fuck away from the computer if you're messing up. Because it's really easy for that to just continue to, you know, there's a degree of convexity to mistakes when you're trading. That when you start making mistake after mistake, if you can't pull yourself away, it's really easy for that to start snowballing. No, I agree. I, I totally hear what you're saying, and it's very good because I used, needed to hear it from someone else because I do pretty good most of the times, especially in the mornings, but sometimes in the afternoon, U.S. session comes around, and then I sometimes give some of the profit back that I already had. Or yeah. Well, oh, so not to interrupt you, but this is where – so that's a really important detail, <clears throat> and um, this is where journaling is really important because if you can make those distinctions, you could obviously really put yourself in a better position. For one, I journal all my trades, right? So I have an Excel sheet that I, you know, every day at the end of the day, sometimes I forget a day and I got to go write it, you know, the next day, but I write down what happened that day, anything notable, anything macro wise, you know, how I felt. I write like a small paragraph and it's just a calendar. And then I obviously, I also have an API that connects to my account and I have a very, comprehensive journal. So with uh, crypto, you know, I used to use Edgewonk across different asset classes as well. In crypto, I use CoinMarketMan. The benefit is that I could see, and this is kind of what you're getting at, I could see when my best trading periods are. I could see that I should probably take, you know, Wednesdays off. I should probably take Sundays off. And, you know, this might be due to volatility drying up. This might be due to a bunch of things, right? It might be due to me just trading like shit on those days. But at least I know what days I'm doing best, what days I'm doing the worst. I also know what time I do well and what time I do poorly. On, the, on its own, those are not useful because that might be, you know, some kind of statistical anomaly. It might be, you know, just an anecdote, right? I had a bad week. Monday was bad. That's not really enough on its own. But if I see that every, you know, fucking Monday morning from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., I give money back during the New York session well, then I, I shouldn't be trading that session. And at least I know I have somewhere to start looking, right? I know 
okay, I got what am I doing wrong during the, the New York session at nine o'clock? You know, what am I doing wrong Monday morning during New York session? Hmm. And I know that I can't trade that until I figure it out. Yeah. So you need data though, because what you don't want to do is like have a bad, you know, you have two weeks of three weeks of data. And then you go say, oh, my Mondays are shit. Let me go do something different. But then you realize you just corrected something that didn't exist. It was just a pure anomaly, you know, some kind of aberration. And you made adjustments where they weren't required. So the most important thing out of all of that is before you can even make adjustments, you need some kind of larger sample of data to be leaning on. Yeah, uh, yeah I kind of got a large enough sample of data. So that's not the issue. But I one last question before I let, leave it over to someone else. But... Do you have any, like you said, you take profits too quickly sometimes, especially on the altcoins. Do you have anything that you can do about that? Like I have the same sometimes. I get out too quickly. I'm okay. I'm happy. I got my profit. But you, you always hear like you should let your winners run and this kind of stuff. Like yeah. these people, these things that people say all the time, but I'd rather take a winner and take a loss. Because so here's here's what I do, and this is something that I still am trying to do. Effect, it's like one of my things that I'm battling, but it's not bad because my taking profit in alts has kept me out of losing money in this market, like a lot of people have. I, and of course, like I've lost money, like everybody. But my my extreme paper handedness with alts has, if anything, protected me more now that we're down ninety percent off the highs. Like it's a no brainer. But one thing that the, tr you know, the trouble with my approach is I have a very intraday approach with Bitcoin right now. You know, unless we're back in a ripping, roaring bull trend where it's more of a trend following market, more momentum driven, I can let positions ride. I'm very intraday driven right now with Bitcoin. So the problem is I might see alt setups that are good swings, right? I am looking at alt setups that are good swings, maybe over the course of the next week or two, but I'm also on the same screen trading Bitcoin intraday. So I'm at the screen too much sometimes. That's that's my opinion. So the problem is with alt and with swing trades in general, when you place a trade, you shouldn't really watch it anymore, right? You know, okay, this is my take profit or where I want to start managing the trade. This is my invalidation. There's no reason for you to be looking at the chart anymore. But the problem is I'm in swings and then I'm also sitting at the screen taking intraday trades. It's very easy for me to have like, cross-contamination between those two approaches because it's, I'm just there, right? I, I look yeah. over at my P&L for the alt and I'm like, oh, that's up a lot. Let me just close that out. Eh, let me just close that. <laughs> and then three days later, I'm like, holy fuck, that's up 200%. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's the, the best thing that's ever happened to me. And it's not going to be fixed permanently because it's just, it's who I am. Like at this point, I just deal with it. I, I don't, it doesn't hurt me. In the end of the day, it, it caps my upside maybe with some alts, but Maybe I'll get lucky at the right time and I won't have to worry about that at some point. But what I find is that if I'm just looking, if I just, if I was just a swing trader, if I was, if I didn't see any intraday setups, my best alt trades are the ones where I just get interrupted, honestly. Like I, I, I go to my computer in the morning, I place a swing or two, I'm not interested in anything with BTC maybe, it might be an alt short like mana recently, it might be, it might be a long, right? <laughs> and then I'm done with the day. At, the, at least I'm done as far as I can see because Bitcoin isn't doing anything. And then I go do something. I go, you know, I go to the gym. I go, you know, I spend time with my wife. I just go be a normal person. That's the best. Usually those trades perform the best because I'm literally just not there watching it. And then what, you, what I will do is I will just have some kind of trailing stop. And the trailing stop will be based on some kind of multiple of ATR. So you could base a trailing stop off of a moving average. 
You could base it off of volatility. Um, and, and what I think is that some kind of stop that's a trailing stop based on volatility is good. So, you know, you might start it based on structure. And then if if the average daily movement of, you know, XYZ coin in a four hour period is, let's say, let's say it's Bitcoin. And let's say the average daily movement in 30 minutes is $300. Then I'll put a trailing stop on that's like $600, right? So 2X that. And at least at that point, you know, I know that, yeah, it could be stopped out still. Um, but I also don't really have to worry about too much noise stopping me out because I don't think it's going to go straight up. Um, but then, yeah, the best the best thing is to honestly, and a lot of the times I won't have a trailing stop on until a target gets hit. So it'll be a triggered trailing stop. So I won't put it on from the beginning of the position really, right? Because if the position is still kind of basing out, it could be kind of choppy. I'll usually have an idea of where the first target is that the trailing stop will get turned on at. And that's it. I'll just, it, the best thing you could do is literally walk away at that point and you'll forget about it. And then you realize like, it's usually the time that you're sitting at the computer looking at it too much. That is the reason why you pull yourself out of it and take profit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That That's my same thing. Like, like you said, like sometimes the best things is just you set it and leave it, but it's, it's tricky sometimes if you're in, other trades at the same time to just leave it because like you said oh this is a juicy profit okay <laughs> we close this thank you very much and we're happy but yeah that's not what you're supposed to do but i suppose it comes with times hopefully but yeah i'll leave uh thank you very much and um i'll leave the floor to someone else and uh, hope you have a nice continuous week of trading and maybe we get some more ranges uh some more trending yeah thank you very much Thanks, bud. all right does anyone else want to hop on we are over the 30 minute mark but i'll uh leave it open for another caller yeah i mean the flip side of that uh last point of not micromanaging swings and and literally just stepping away from the computer is the psychological aspect of seeing a red candle, right? You could, you know, price is fractal. So if you're looking at it on the one minute and you're looking at it on the three hour and you didn't know what time frame you're looking at it on, you couldn't tell which what it was, right? It would, they all just look the same. It's four data points, right? So the, the problem with managing positions, it's the red candle effect, right? And this is why you'll see a lot of traders will change the colors of their candles. Like my candles are black and white, but let's be honest, like the red effect, is psychologically imprinted in us from childhood. You know, red means danger. Red means alert. Red means stop sign. So red candle is is kind of like this. It provokes this emotional response. I'd say it probably even provokes like, you know, well, if it's emotional, it's hormonal. But um, dipshit. But uh, the, uh, the red candle has an effect, right? The problem is it's just watching any down candle when you're in position. So if you're looking at it on a screen that's like 17 inches wide or whatever size, right? I don't even know what size my screens are. If you're zoomed in, the whole candle might go from the top of the margin to the bottom. And that looks scary. So it's easy to get yourself psyched out of a position. So you'll see people like myself change the color of the bars. But at the end of the day, like we still like I know what the black candle is now. The black candle is the red candle now. So to really to really, I guess, uh, limit the amount of psychological impact you'd have to have maybe no candles, maybe a line chart, maybe, um, you know, uh, candles that are all the same color. 
And then it's just, again, it's not, it's not watching them, but this is like, you know, I'm telling you what should be done, but I am someone. And again, I, a lot of times, like if I was going to you know, try to figure out why this was the case, it's because, you know, this is more during bull markets when, sorry, I have like the hiccups. It's because I'm trading one thing intraday. I have another screen with swings on and I just happen to see this swings and I just something in me when alts are up, like, I think it's because from someone who traded legacy and has that background, getting a 10% move in a trade in crypto, it feels like it's, it's a, it's a given, right? We like take it for granted. That is not a reality, right? So we are spoiled here. So when I see a 10% move, I think that's massive, right? You know, the S&P would be lucky if it returned that this year. I mean, fuck the S&P. No, we're well, never mind. Um, it's starting off the year, the S&P would be lucky if it returned what? Like, you know, compound annual growth rate of what? 13%? What was it? 10, 13, 15? Who knows? The point is we're spoiled in crypto to where we actually think that that is like a given. So that's why scalping Bitcoin for me is not a problem. It's easy for me to take profits in BTC and be very unemotional because I'm like, well, yeah, 2% move doesn't sound like much, but that's, if you put size behind it, that's significant, right? That you could trade these ranges all day. But with alts, you know, you place a swing on an alt and 20 minutes later, it's up 10, 15%. Sure, you know, your target might sound unreasonable that it could have been a 30%, 40% target. Your target a lot of time ends up playing out. I mean, in, in a bull market, we see this all the time, right? And it's kind of like survivorship, right? Because clearly in a bull market, but it's how, it's how crypto trades. It's super reflexive. Right, super retail driven, especially alts. So it just, it's like, we all look at the same chart. We all know that it just broke the most significant resistance and the next major level is, you know, 50% away. Like who's going to sell before them? Because every asshole is going to buy all the way up, right? So, um, and not every asshole, because I've been that asshole plenty of times. But yeah, I, it's, it's, I, I just know me personally, I, I take things off all the time. It's a habit that I have very, I've, very difficult to break. And the only time I, I feel like I could break it, honestly, is when I accidentally do, when I literally get, you know, I'm in a position where Bitcoin is no longer compelling for the day. You know, like yesterday afternoon, leave it at 12. You know, I garden with my wife, do stuff with my wife. And then, hey, by accident, I wasn't at the screens, right? And if I have a trade on with an all by that, you know, during that point, that time, then just by happenstance, you know, it's a matter of luck that I'm still in the position to haven't cut it. And also missed all the times I might have cut it early if it started moving against me. You, know, you get the idea. So, all right. Uh, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, again, Tuesdays and Thursdays, they're just more direct stream, you know, call-ins right after the, the live stream. Friday is more of an open discussion, longer. Um, you know, Fridays, I usually have something uh, somewhat planned to talk about, some bullet points to touch on, but these just follow up the stream. So, I appreciate you guys coming in. I appreciate you uh, subscribing. Make sure you subscribe, put this on alerts, like it, all that jazz. And uh, I'll talk to you next time.